if I believe I'm as good as I can get and I can't keep up with my work or I'm not doing a good quality job or I'm not having market penetration, I'm often going to think I need more money. That's my problem. But if we instead have the mindset that I can always do better, it's just I don't know how yet. It's not an if I can do it, it's a how, and I just may not know the how. If we have that mindset, we'll be forced to dig deeper into our organizations to find the problem. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Welcome to Superhumans at Work by Mind Valley. I'm your host, Jason Mark Campbell. And before we get started, tell me, if you could change anything in your life, what would it be? Would it be your body, your career, your relationships? Thankfully, you don't have to choose. As a Mind Valley member, you'll get instant access to the wisdom of world class personal growth teachers and programs that can evolve you in every way for just $2 a day. Are you ready to make a change? Start transforming your life today at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. Hi, everyone. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. I have an incredible individual joining us today where we're going to talk about what are the problems we should be really focusing on and where is it that we're spending maybe too much of our attention not solving the right problem. We have Kirsten Cox here, who is a senior executive, university fellow and instructor, keynote speaker, author, and consultant. And she is the leading authority on how to apply the theory of constraints to governments and nonprofit. But today we're really going to go beyond these two specific industries and go deeper within her books that she's co-authored. One of them, Stop Decorating the Fish and the World of Decorating the Fish. This is a fantastic literature that's going to help us go deeper into what is it that we do as a mistake when we're trying to actually do better in our organizations? Are we finding places that we're wasting time? Are there maybe better ways to identify what is the root cause to make sure we drive into that efficiency that we're looking for and maybe stop the confusion and the mess in the process. Now, Chris has been selected as Salt Lake's Chamber Pathfinder Award recipient, honored Lifetime Achievement, Gold Stewie Award for Government and Nonprofit Organization, selected as Governing Magazine's Public Official of the Year in 2016. And I can't wait to dive deeper into her story and share her ideas in the process. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much, Jason, for having me. It'll be fun. It will be. And I wanted to dive into... This idea of the fish, I think it's a fun title. Stop decorating mm-hmm. the fish. It seems like a lot of people look at the way they're operating their business and feel like there's a million things to do. Yes. And we're feeling a little overwhelmed. Do I dare to say that technology seems to have accelerated this anxiety that we have, that there's so many different things we could be doing? I'd love to know what brought you to using this as a title with the analogy of the fish and what does it symbolize as the core problem you're mm-hmm. seeing in businesses now? Well, you nailed it. We all feel bombarded every day, about a thousand things we could do, a million great ideas. And the premise of the book is we need to start by stopping. And if we believe, which I do, that our capacity is finite and limited, we only have so many hours. It's about being very selective where we spend our time, either as an entrepreneur or in corporate America or in government or nonprofits. And the premise of this book is that most problems actually aren't worth solving. And the trick is finding the problem that's worth solving. And it's a parable. We wanted to make the book super short, easy to read. I remember back in the days when I could see, I remember Dr. Seuss 
you know, some of those pictures. So it's an easy book to read, but the parable is about a fish and it's not doing what it quote unquote should be doing. And everybody's decorating the fish rather than solving the problem that the fish is facing. We see that in organizations all the time. People are very busy, uh, lots of cool new initiatives, lots of great strategic plans, lots of new product introductions. But the question is, are we solving the real problem that the customer is facing? I love it. And most people actually find themselves overwhelmed thinking about all the different places that they could identify the real problem. It's like we're lacking a map. We don't even know where to look, which I think is fascinating in your story, because as you mentioned, you have a disability in your vision. You can't see, is it partially or fully blind? Mostly all the way. I have a tiny vision in my left eye anymore, but not very usable. Yeah. I'm fascinated by how you've taken this and you've turned this into kind of your superpower because you yeah. now get to see things that most people don't. And I'd love to understand your journey from being able to identify how you were able to get into these organizations and see these opportunities where most people did not. Well, so here's my theory. <laughs> people can only change or improve what they know about. And so we're often trained to respond to what we can directly see or experience. So we can look at an organization chart and try to reorganize that, or we can look at a massive data dashboard and you think that's the answer. The challenge is where the opportunity is, is what we can't see. It's usually invisible to us. And if we can create the discipline of what not to do, which we point out in the book, we start creating capacity and curiosity to figure out if it's not these obvious things that everyone's doing, then what else could it be? And this is about learning how to think clearly so that we can really uncover and reveal what isn't obvious to us right now. What's the real problem or limitation? We actually have a very specific definition we use for value, which is removing a significant limitation in a way that was not possible before and in a way that our competition can't replicate. And that's by Dr. Goldratt. And it's a very specific definition. It means it's not obvious. Nobody could remove this limitation before. Your competition can't replicate that. As a state, you know, we don't want other states. We're competitive in this market. And if it was just what everybody else was doing, the problem would be solved and it's not. So it's learning to see kind of what you don't see, what isn't so obvious. That's amazing. Now, I'd be curious to know if you're looking at an organization, if I'm listening to this mm -hmm. and I'm finding myself trying to solve the same problems, are there kind of the typical one that most people have a struggle with or find themselves mm -hmm. on a decorating marathon without even knowing it? I think in this culture, you know, there's lots of these, we call them the seductive solutions people jump to. And we're saying, hey, before you jump to a solution, know the problem you're trying to solve. We're very indoctrinated with being busy and productive. So we jump to solutions. But I see a big tendency towards more data. There's a big trend with Big data, AI, data integration, data lakes, data platforms, data dashboards, data-driven organizations. It's not that data is bad, but data are just words and numbers. And if we don't know the questions we're trying to ask, we can actually create a lot of noise in our systems and make things worse. And I think technology, technology can be incredibly powerful. None of these things are bad by themselves. It's just by themselves, they're not the solution. A lack of technology isn't the problem. The question with technology is what's the limitation it's helping us to remove? What's the problem for the customer or why the business can't scale something? And then we can understand how technology can amplify our solution to that problem. But it's really stepping back and saying, hey, do we really need a 200 million new case management system when well, we don't even understand the problem we're trying to solve for the customer? So Those are the ones I see happening a lot, but all of the seven, in fact, when I started this journey, I was running the Office of Management Budget for our governor here in Utah for eight years. So 
we would see all the budget requests coming in and there's not enough money to solve all the problems. So more money was the first one I put out there on my list. If you don't know how to use your existing resources well, more of them won't help you. And I first had the fatal four and then came up with the seductive seven because I would see these patterns time and time again, what organizations would do to try to make progress. And you could almost predict what people would do. And that's how this list came about. And if we can stop doing these, we have a fighting chance of finding the real problem that matters. Well, you even did something incredible during your time as the budget manager here. I think it's something like 35% in cost reduction happened, or was it improvement? I don't know if it was a cost improvement. I'd love to hear more about that. I've worked in government before. I found it was very difficult to see substantial changes happening. So I'd be curious to know what happened here. And this is amazing. Well, the first thing is, one thing we really believe, and I know this feels difficult sometimes, but our organizations can actually be simple. Complexity is easy. It's really easy to spew out a 500-page complicated document or technical requirements or healthcare to have hundreds of pages of code to manage healthcare. It's complex is easy. Simple is really hard, but it's very possible. We look at three variables. What does it cost us to do something? What is it that we do? We call it our throughput. What's the completed product? Is it serving the kid? Is it a decision that's made? Is it a report from medical examiner's office? And then what's the quality of that? And it's never about any one data point on its own. It's the relationship between the data. So what's my quality? How much can I handle? How much can I do over a period of time? And what does it cost me to do that? And you know, quality matters. You can't see the causes of costs in spreadsheets. And so just trying to go through a spreadsheet and do cost cutting can actually be detrimental. We really believe if you can focus on quality and the speed of services and really solving the customer limitation, your costs come down over time. So as a result, cost-wise, we have fewer employees in Utah today than we did in the early 2000s. So that's saving Utah taxpayers about $400 million a year because we could do more work with the resources we had as our population grew. But we really also focused on quality, especially in programs where vulnerable populations were there. So yeah, we looked at all three of those variables. And part of this journey is getting really clear on what is it we're trying to achieve. And I can sit with teams and I'll have 10 people in the room and I'll ask them, what is it you're trying to accomplish? Especially let's take systems like healthcare. What are we trying to accomplish here? What does quality look like for a patient? How do we know if we're doing a better job, if we integrate mental health services and physical health? How do we know we've actually done anything other than make a lot of change? If I have 10 people in a room, I'll get 10 different answers. And if we can't understand what we're trying to achieve, you can't find the problem. A problem is only a problem within the context of the goal. So there's some things we start with. What's your goal? What's your ambitious target? What's the scope of your system and what's the customer limitation? If you understand those three things and you stop doing all the seductive seven, more data and more money, all those things, you can usually find the problem. And then you can design a system around solving that problem. I think I picked up in your answer here that one of the seductive seven is it just to get more money to try to solve the problem? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That seems like the first thing I would imagine people, yeah, we have a problem. We just need more money. But what you're saying is that probably ends up to more waste if nobody's aligned to the same goal. And that kind of, I feel like it's not intentional. It's not like we're all trying to pull in different directions and sabotage the organization. Is it because we're all so focused on our own plate and our own priorities that makes us lose track of a bigger picture? Like, why is it that we find ourselves so fragmented in alignment here? 
I think most people are good. People show up to work because they want to do a good job. And the challenge we have in organizations is that tell me how you measure me and I'll tell you how I behave. Another great quote by Dr. Goldratt. And so we tend to measure different parts of the system. And then each part tries to optimize its piece of the puzzle. But what we're interested in is how do all the parts work together to achieve the goal? So if we don't know the goal and we don't understand what the big system is and how all the parts work together, there's these invisible rules that are governing and regulating how these parts work. If we don't understand that, just throwing money at it isn't going to solve the problem. Again, because the causes of cost aren't just in more staff. The question is, how are staff using their time? Why are they prevented from doing their job well? What's distracting them? When one person hands off work to another person, what's happening there that's creating rework? I mean, this is true if you're in a prison system or if you're in a simple transactional system, and it's true even for the private sector. We've seen companies who thought they needed to build an additional warehouse, and when they realized what was really happening, what was invisible to them, the rules that were governing their work, they could actually absorb all of the work within the warehouse that they had. The trick here is we can teach tools and we can teach a lot of stuff. And the reason why I love your podcast, it's this mindset. So take money. We're always looking at the assumptions. What's driving people's thinking? If I believe I'm as good as I can get and I can't keep up with my work or I'm not doing a good quality job or I'm not having market penetration, I'm often going to think I need more money. That's my problem. But if we instead have the mindset that I can always do better, It's just, I don't know how yet. It's not an, if I can do it, it's a how, and I just may not know the how. If we have that mindset, we'll be forced to dig deeper into our organizations to find the problem. So part of these seductive seven put boundaries on ourselves so that we have to look a little bit deeper than just jumping to quite frankly, the most convenient answer. Before we continue, I just want to tell you a little bit about Mindvalley membership. For all of you personal development junkies like me out there, growing in one area of your life just isn't enough. That's why we made Mindvalley membership to bring you the best personal growth programs on the planet so you can evolve every day in every way. Whether you want to get crazy fit, build a business, or manifest more money in your life, there's a quest for that. And now you can access every single one for just $2 a day. So if you're striving to become the best self and live the life you deserve, try out Mindvalley membership at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. You mentioned something that, again, ties into this whole idea of being measured and you perform based on your measurement. If I'm a manager or I'm in a company and it's almost like you have this expectation that you're supposed to figure out the how before you even present anything. Isn't that one of the quotes that a senior executive would say in a time that the company is going through a struggle will be like, I don't want to hear about the problem. Just bring me solutions. Yeah. In this context, that sounds like the worst advice, isn't it? You know what? We do that. And I say, look, if you're going to have a problem, also think about a solution. We're in such a culture that just says solution, solution, solution. I'm saying go slow to go fast. Precision on the problem is half the battle. I've seen this all the time. I know a group right now doing this, setting up this big new data system. The real thing is, what are the questions you're trying to answer? You think about the biggest breakthroughs in our history. Take Einstein, for example, theory of relativity. He didn't have a big data dump. In fact, he didn't even look at data for quite some time. He asked a question. What would it be like to travel at the speed of light on a light beam? If I was on a light beam and I could just sit there, travel at the front of it, what would that be like? 
And it was that question that got him thinking and to hypothesize about the theory of relativity. And then they could use data to refute or validate it. And again, it comes back to our ability to understand cause and effect and to anchor, anchor, anchor in the customer limitation. And even entrepreneurs out there, you're thinking about making an impact for your customer. There's a company, we talk about this all the time, it's called Omron. They were the first to market with a blood pressure machine you could use at home. What was interesting about their process is first thinking about what's the limitation I'm going to remove for a customer? What's creating a lot of friction and hassle and so much inconvenience? The customer who needs to get their blood pressure taken isn't going to go to the doctor. What's that limitation? What's the hassle, the friction point? What's well, making an appointment, sitting in a doctor's office for an hour, waiting for simple blood pressure? They were the first out there to make a blood pressure device you could use at home. It removes a significant limitation. Once you know that, you can come up with a viable product. And then your solution is, and all the challenges come in how to develop the product that's accurate and reliable. But if you're not anchored in that, you can just push out more features and benefits without solving significant breakthroughs for the customer. That's really interesting. And it makes me question as you're speaking about this. If I was an executive or a manager and I had a team, I'd be like, yes, I want to teach them these methods. So we stop decorating the fish. And I almost would want to make sure that they get educated and trained on looking at the problems and trying to identify the problems. And there I'm kind of questioning, does the responsibility of someone bringing this cultural element, these kinds of more focus on identifying the problem before jumping to solution, how much do you see it as a responsibility for the leaders to design a culture that advocates to that versus individuals just practicing these these yeah. models instead. Yeah, that's a really good question. I always think leaders need to create the permission and actually the culture that encourages that for sure. That's definitely a role of a leader is what's the problem you're trying to solve? What's the goal you're trying to achieve? And the problem is what blocks you from achieving the goal. For individuals, you know, one of the seductive seven is more blaming and accountability. And this one's tough. There's this human tendency. I have it, which is blame somebody else. And we believe that our ability to make an impact is hindered by somebody else. And we advocate, and we've seen this, we've seen managers that will say, hey, 30% of our employees have got performance problems and we're going to put them on performance plans. That's shifting the problem to somebody else. But when we looked at how managers had designed the flow of work and how the people worked within the system, it was clear that it wasn't designed well. When they fixed that, all of a sudden employee performance went up. I share that because we always want to start with what we call extreme stewardship or extreme responsibility. What do I have stewardship over? What am I responsible for? Have I done everything I can within my realm? So you may want to go to your boss and pitch an idea that's tied to a problem. And you can't control what your boss does or doesn't do, but you can control how well you prepare how much you know about your boss and his or her challenges and problems in the market. You can control how concise you are. So it's always focusing on the controllables, not things outside of our control. And I feel strongly about this because in government, we can shift the problem and raise taxes. We can shift it and take money for ourselves, but that means there's not money on the table for another program that really may need it. So we always want to say, what do I have responsibility for? And am I doing all I can? And assume that we can, assume that we can make an impact with what we have. And if we do that well, then you can expand your circle of influence. So I'm really just hate shifting the problem. We've seen this with the pandemic. We want to make sure in government, we've done all we can to do a really good job before we just shift the burden to the public. And so 
that's one of the seductive seven. It's very tempting. So leaders have a role and we as individuals have a role in the workplace as well. I was going to say, is it typical that people bring you in as a consultant into their organizations and they're like, fix my people. And then mm -hmm. you realize the problem might be at the leadership level. Yeah, that's definitely happened before. So yes, absolutely. And so when we really look into the problem, what we find is that people are good. Usually the system and these invisible rules of how the system's being regulated or lack of clarity on the goal, or we haven't really gotten clear on the customer limitations. All of these things are driving behaviors that aren't optimal for the individual, the customer, the organization. So when we can tease those out, we can see that, wow, there's reasons why the organization's stuck and let's figure out how to unstuck it before we just blame people. Fair enough. I feel like if I would be, because you're speaking about these, I've made all those mistakes for sure. Me too. Uh, That's how I know about these because I've made yeah. them. <laughs> especially yeah. with the technology when I've tried to say like, we just need a new CRM to improve the sales. And that definitely didn't focus on the end customer, didn't actually identify the core problem we were having or none of that. It was just one of those seductive ways that I thought would be decorating the fish and making things better. But is there a litmus test? Because I feel like when I'm in the middle of pushing for a solution or pushing an initiative that I'm very in love with, <laughs> how do I do that litmus test to know if it is a seductive seven versus if I've actually done the work necessary to identify the real problem? One of our litmus tests is we're interested in big impact. It's not difficult to get marginal improvements, fix little pieces of the system. So we're interested in big impact. So we usually like to say, mm, we want to see a 25, at least minimum percent improvement between those ideas of quality, our throughput, which is the volume we can handle, or our costs in the marketplace. It could be margins. It could be market penetration. It could be market share. So we like to see really huge improvements. And if we are thinking about launching something and we don't have clarity on the goal, we don't have clarity on the problem. So for example, we often think a lack of something is a problem. So we think lack of CRM is a problem. I'm not saying CRM is bad. It may be necessary. But if we had that, what would happen? What would we get? What's the consequence of not having that CRM? And then we want to tease that out. So when people think a lack of something is a problem, we always want to go to a bit deeper, think about what's causing the lack and what's the consequence of that shortage. That gives us some more clues into what the problem is. But we usually like to see if we can make a massive improvement, we're usually on the right track and going in the right direction. Kristen, I really love this conversation. I think this is very practical for people to have that that kind of wait, stop, look at what you're really trying to solve and make a reassessment to make sure that you're working on the right things. Obviously, there's a lot of work that we can find. If we look hard enough, we'll find a lot of different work that might just not be moving the needle, which you know kind of wants me to touch on your latest book, which is about the world of decorating the fish. Mm -hmm. You talk about how this is a problem we see at a systemic level. And I know for a lot of listeners of Superhumans at Work, they're business people that are going into businesses that are trying to make the world a better place. And they're entrepreneurs okay. that are trying to bring things that improve the world. Mm -hmm. And I'd be curious for you to open up about what you've noticed in this particular literature on how a lot of companies are maybe not necessarily dealing with the root cause. And what can we do to be more aware of how we can really focus on what we want to see in the world? Yeah. The world of fish decorating, because the challenge with jumping to solutions is it's really ubiquitous and common. And so we created the second book. It's a little more wonky and technical. It gives a lot of tips and case studies about what to look for. So you know what not to do, but we usually make problems in three areas. We either make problems in the goal, 
We make problems in the strategy, which is just a direction of the solution, or we make mistakes in execution and the operations. And one of the things we all start with, I'll just give you this with setting goals, is we have a philosophy, especially even in the business side, what are we giving before we get? What's the value we're offering before we receive? And if we do that well, we can create a business model and execution plan so we can have exceptional return for our taxpayers and our shareholders. But we want to start with what are we giving? What's the value that we're offering? And very often in the private sector, it's easy to slip into managing the stock versus managing the company and the value, managing margins, managing profitability, managing the finances. You, know, you can see this a lot of times in venture capital, rather than really understanding what's the value. And that value is what's the significant limitation removing from the customer. We've seen this in companies that get big and big over time. They lose their way. They start getting very interested in earnings per share et cetera, and they forget what they were supposed to do in the first place. If we can start with that, we've seen this with mergers and acquisitions, private sector, and then we can talk government for sure. We've seen some mergers and acquisitions succeed. Many don't. The ones that have succeeded is because the one taking over the company, Google taking on Android, they first thought, what can we give? What's the value we add in this merger and acquisition? It's that they had a really robust development cycle and development protocol that helped Android become competitive. But we see other ones that merger and acquisition, they just consume so they can control very inward focused goals. And that may be short term a win, but in the long term, again, if we don't have that value, we can see it in government. It may be an economic development. We're very focused on what's the revenue we're going to get as a state. How many jobs are we going to create? And that's a very inward focused goal. What if the goal for economic development was instead about what's the limitation that we're going to remove for an industry that really matters for us? Why is that industry blocked from growing or prospering or expanding or exporting more? What's their limitation? And if we give first, the byproduct will be over time. We get what we need as well. And that, again, goes into finding your business value and your business model. But that's one trap we can easily fall into. And again, if we don't know the goal, we can't understand really what the whole point of our system is about. And then every solution from there on out is a domino effect. We just get kind of stuck in marginal substandard results. I love how even at that large level, when you can still focus on that question about what's the value, what's the value, what's the roadblocks you're trying to remove, you can do that at every stage. You can do that as an entrepreneur. You can do this as an employee, as a team leader. It's just a very powerful question to get you to refocus and get back to actually solving. Yeah. The I mean, core. think as an employee, we're worried about our careers, our promotions, which mm-hmm. matter. I'm not saying you don't do that. And how can you serve your boss? I mean, your boss is in a spot. They have pressures. They have stakeholders. They've got so many demands. How are you serving your boss? How are you serving your peers? So, you know, it's what do we give before what we're going to get? And if we do that time and time again, I think over time, we do prosper. It's a mindset of abundance, not scarcity. Well, for everybody listening, I think one of the key things you could do is take a moment to share what we've talked about today with your entire team. If you find yourself maybe going down this path of working on problems that might not be the core problem, maybe you're going to those directions that seem very easy without clear definition of what is it that you're trying to achieve. I think this episode is amazing for people to take a step back and refocus and really take a stab at seeing what is the core things that they want to work on and stop busyness for the sake of business. Because I feel like there's a lot of companies that are really good at marketing, especially Mm -hmm. on the technology field, that -hmm. make it so that it seems like their solution will solve all your problems. But again, there's kind of needs to be that slowdown that you spoke about that I think a lot of us 
skip. And I think this is going to be a very powerful call to action for people to take the time to go back on the fundamentals and really make sure that they're working on the right things while avoiding the temptations of what exists in the marketplace. Kirsten, thank you so much for your time and sharing this wisdom. For those of you who are listening to this and this resonated with you, I do want to highly encourage you to pick up a copy of Stop Decorating the Fish as you're going to go through this business fable that makes you identify exactly all the traps that are set in front of you that you can avoid and some practical ways that you can actually go and focus on the real problem. And of course, if you're looking at world issues, the world of decorating the fish is also a great piece for you where you're going to look more as what's happening on a macro scale and what is the things that you can typically work on that will truly move the needle. Kristen, thank you again so much for your time and for everybody listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you haven't signed up already, be sure to check out Mindvalley Membership. Besides getting unlimited access to our top-rated programs and trainers, you'll also join an incredible supportive community on our new Connections app. This is basically a global campus where you find like-minded friends, mentors, and accountability partners from around the world online or get together at local meetups. If you want education that connects you with kindred spirits and transforms you from the inside out, join the tribe at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman today. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.